Our text today, as we continue on in our series of looking at the last words of Jesus from the cross, is John chapter 19, verse 30. And this is very, it's three words. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished, Jesus said. That is the sixth of the seven phrases that Jesus spoke on the cross. It is finished. It's three words in English, but in the original language in which it was written, which is Greek, it was just one word. And that word is to telestai. You may have heard the saying that says a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I could probably say that this word, tetelestai, is worth a thousand sermons. We can never plumb the depths of tetelestai, of it is finished, in a lifetime of sermons. A.W. Pink says that in the original language, this is but one word. Yet in that one word is the whole gospel of God. All assurance and the sum of all joy. Because Jesus said it is finished, it means three things for us. It means our debt is paid in full, but it also means that there's nothing that you can do that can make God love you more. And it means that there's nothing you can do that can make God love you less. First thing, because Jesus said it is finished, we know that our debt is paid in full. This word that Jesus spoke, according to John, who wrote the gospel here, is it's the word Jesus said to telestai. And it's actually an economic term in the Greek. It was a term that they used in economic economic language. And it means, literally, your debt is paid in full. It's paid in full. That's what the term means. It's economic in nature. The bill has been taken care of. In the first century, there was a common practice uh, called debtor's prison. And what that meant was if somebody owed a large debt... Uh, what would often happen is they could be thrown into debtor's prison. And you can't be released from debtor's prison until your debt has been paid off. But the problem is, how do you pay back a debt if you're in prison? You know, if you're, you're like, I'm in debtor's prison because I couldn't pay off my debt when I was free. Now, how am I going to pay it off while I'm no longer free? It was, it was this conundrum that they would find themselves in. And they would either have to work... You know, they would pay it off their debt. You know, their owner would determine the value of their work, which was probably, you know, pennies on the note. Take them years and years and years and years and a lifetime to pay it off. Or another way they could get out of debtor's prison is if someone else paid for their debt. And the only way, I mean, that, this is how you would get out of debtor's prison. Someone else would pay off your debt. And if that happened, you might receive a receipt. And on that receipt, it would say to Telestai, your debt has been paid for. It's paid in full. Here's your ticket. You can leave debtor's prison and you can be free. And if you had that receipt to Telestai stamped on it, that would be proof of your freedom, proof that you're no longer in debt. But not only is it proof, it's an assurance for you. Because with that, with that receipt, you would know that no one can ever levy your debts against you again. And no one can ever accuse you of your debt any longer because it was paid for in full. You have been released from prison and can no longer return for those debts because they have been paid for. And when Jesus says it is finished, he means that your debt 
has been paid in full. Now, what debt? Romans 6.23 says the wages or the debt, the cost of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The debt that Jesus is speaking of paying when he says it is finished, it is paid in full to Telestai. He's saying that the debt of your sin has been paid for if you will just receive the receipt that he offers. And I know the idea of sin is not popular in contemporary culture, especially in New York. We know this. We prefer to think of ourselves as good people. The idea that we owe a debt to God Um, It doesn't sit well with us. This idea that we're sinners and that we owe something to God. Isn't God love? Isn't he supposed to just love us? Like, why do I owe something to him? Sin doesn't sit well with modern contemporary culture. But if if we're honest with ourselves, we know, we all know that we're lacking something when it comes to relating to God. We all know we're lacking something when it comes to um, the presence of God. If God is holy, if God is totally good and totally just, then you cannot possibly think that you can stand in his presence with swagger, with like an ego. Like, oh, I deserve to be in your presence, God. None of, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us could say that. None of us think that we could stand before God without any fault, without any shame, without any guilt. And listen, I don't know about you. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I mean, I, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't have a habit of committing crimes, okay? Um, yet, if I see a police officer on the street, there's a part of me that's like, at cool, at cool, at cool, at cool, at cool. And then, like, the cop, you know, walks into the bagel shop. I'm like, I'm like, officer, how you doing? You know, and then I get real nervous around cops. Why? Because I know, I'm like, I, 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 cannot, I could not possibly even think of a crime I've committed in the last decade, but I'm like... Maybe I did. I'm just not remembering. It's like when you get pulled over for like, you know, you got like a brake light out and you get pulled over and, you, and the cop is coming to the car and you're going, you're not saying you're not, you're not, you don't get indignant going, I didn't do anything. As they're walking to the car, you're going, what did I do? What did I do? And you're like playing back like the last like five miles you drove because we all know that in the presence of true authority, we know we're not blameless. And none of us are blameless before God. None of us are. And so one of the things we one of the things that proves that we know we have a debt that we owe to God is that we come up with all these little things in our lives that we think will make us acceptable to God and to other people. And we tell ourselves these things of what makes us an acceptable person. We say we think of our we like to think of our lives as a scale. So we tell ourselves, you know what, if at the end of my life, the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, I'm good. I'm a good person. But the problem with thinking that way is how can you ever know if you've been good enough? Because you don't know the weight of each sin and you don't know the weight of each good deed you've done. That's, that is a very uncertain way to gauge your life. You'll always be plagued with uncertainty if you gauge your life that way. Another thing we often say is we say, well, I just try to be a good person. This is the message preached by our culture today in and outside the church. And it sounds humble. It sounds open-minded. This, I just try to be a good person. It sounds humble and open-minded, but it's actually intolerant of the grace of God. Because it assumes that one doesn't need God. And it even assumes that our actions don't really matter. All that really matters is our effort and our intentions. As if our intentions are enough to save us. But this whole idea of I try to be a good person as if our intentions matter to God. 
or as if our intentions even matter to others or to ourselves. Listen, when we say I try to be a good person or we tell other people, hey, if you just try to be a good person, you'll be okay. But the problem with that is, is that offers no hope. It sounds so inclusive. It sounds so open ended and like everybody just try to be a good person. We'll all be great. The problem with that is it sounds inclusive. But what about the people? But it excludes all the people who feel unworthy and it excludes all the people who haven't been good. And there are people in this world that haven't been good and they know they haven't been good. What kind of message is, why don't you just try to be a good person? What kind of message is that for the person who has failed tremendously? What kind of, what kind of hope does that give to the bad person? See, I hear this all the time. In my profession as a pastor and counseling, I hear horrible things that many people have done. Those of you who are counselors, social workers, teachers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you hear the, I hear the worst of what people have done. And some of the saddest counseling moments are when people are sitting across the, the room from me and they say, how can God ever love me? How can God ever forgive me after what I've done? Do you realize how empty it would be if I turned to them and said, why don't you just try to be a good person? They would say, That's, are you not listening to me? I'm not a good person. And I just told you why I'm not a good person. What kind of hope does try to be good to what kind of hope does that offer to the people who aren't good? See, Jesus in the Gospels, the people he saved were prostitutes, drunkards, traitors, robbers and murderers. You couldn't the hope for them is not try to be good. The hope for them is that Jesus will pay for it. There's a television show that my family used to watch. It's called ER. There was an episode in ER where there was a retired, a retired prison doctor and he was dying and in the show, um, but he was carrying this heavy, heavy load of shame and guilt. You see this, he was, he had worked his whole life as a doctor in a prison and years at some point in his career, he had administered an execution um, through lethal injection But then years later, it was discovered that the person that he executed was innocent. And so he lives with this shame the rest of his life. And now he's dying of cancer. He's sitting in a hospital bed and the hospital calls in a chaplain. And this is the scene. You guys watch this with me. You couldn't have known that. God tried to stop me from killing an innocent man and I ignored the sign. How can I even hope for forgiveness? I think sometimes it's easier to feel guilty than forgiven. Which means what? That maybe your guilt over these deaths has become your reason for living. And maybe you need a new reason to go on. I I, I don't want to go on can't you see i'm old i have cancer i've had enough the only thing that is holding me back is that i am afraid i'm afraid of what comes next and what do you think that is oh you tell me is atonement even possible what does god want from me i think it's up to each one of us to interpret what god wants 
So people can do anything? They can rape, they can murder, they can steal all in the name of God and it's okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, what are you saying? Because all I'm hearing is some new age, God is love, one size fits all crap. Hey, Dr. Truman. No, <laughs> I don't have time for this now. Greg, it's okay. Look, I understand. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. How could you possibly say that? Now, you listen to me. I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell. I hear that you're frustrated, but you need to ask yourself... No, I don't need to ask myself. I need answers. And all your questions and your uncertainty are only making things worse. I know you're upset. God, I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness because I am running out of time. Just try to be a good person. Just believe in yourself. That offered no hope to him in that moment. And here's what I would tell that man if I were sitting at his bedside. I'd say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even you. And yes, you killed an innocent man. And you, yet you did it unknowingly. But yet you still feel, and rightfully so, that you will have to give an account to God for that. But here's the good news. You said you want to know if you can find forgiveness. You asked if atonement was possible. Well, on the cross, Jesus, the only truly and only fully innocent man, took upon himself all the sin of the world, including yours. Even what you did in that execution chamber when you killed an innocent man. Jesus took that upon himself. In the Bible, there's a man named Paul. This is what I would tell this guy. Just like you, he killed an innocent man named Stephen. But he did it knowingly. So in some ways, he was even worse than you. But Paul learned that because of the cross, Jesus forgives even murderers. Now listen to what Paul says to people just like you. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling, canceling. The record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And I would look that man in the eye and I would say, on the cross, sir, Jesus purchased your forgiveness. If you will receive it, you can be assured that that sin will no longer be held against you when you go before God. And because Jesus said it is finished, you can now rest assured that judgment day doesn't have to be a day of dread for you, but it can be a day of celebration. A day where you throw yourself on the mercy and the love and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Sir, you, you, you said you wanted answers. Well, you have nothing to fear because your debt has been paid if you will receive it. It is finished. The scriptures say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what I would tell that man in the ER. Second thing I want us to see this morning is that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Jesus said to tell us it is paid in full. I remember the first time I heard that explained to me. 
It's paid in full. It was a sermon. I, I was a college student at the time. I was a young Christian. And I heard this preacher say, you know, it, to tell us in the economic word, it means your sin is paid in full. And so I was just blown away by this. And so a 19-year-old kid, what did I do? I said, I'm going to go out and get this tattooed on my body. So I decided to get that word tattooed on my wrist. But the problem was I couldn't remember the word. What word did he say? It was Jesus' last word on the cross. So I looked it up and I found it. I did my research and I found it. Taleo. And so I went and got Taleo tattooed on my wrist. And I was so proud of this tattoo. I, I even used it. Seriously, I used it to share my faith with people. In fact, when I was buying Rebecca's engagement ring, the, the, sale, the jewelry salesman asked me, he's like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, it means it is finished. And he was like, well, what does that mean? And I said, man, let me tell you about Jesus. That's a true story. And I, but then I started seminary. And in seminary, you have to learn Greek. And first week of class, I'm on the front row, nerd, student, trying to impress my teacher. My Greek professor stands up. It's first week of class. He writes the word teleo on the board. And, he sa- and I raise my hand. I'm like, I know what that means. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, cocky student. What does that mean? I said, it means it is finished. And he goes, well, you got the root word right, but you got the verb tense wrong. He said, teleo is present active indicative, which means I am finishing. And I immediately took my watch off of my left wrist and put it over my right wrist where it stayed for the rest of the semester. And then a few years later, I got on, I bought a tattoo removal from Groupon, which is totally shady, but it worked and it's gone. So... There we go. I am finishing. It is finished. So similar, but completely different messages. They're opposites, in fact. And I think far too many people look at the Christian life as teleo instead of tetelestai. We love the cross we sing about. Jesus paid for our sins, modeled humility and sacrifice for us on the cross. But many of us, we think we all feel somewhere in our hearts that for God to truly love us, for God to truly be pleased with us, we have to add something to the cross. We have to add something. We have to finish what he started. And we begin to make the Christian life. I am finishing rather than it is finished. Fleming Rutledge says there is no aspect of the Christian faith more difficult for us to believe. It is in the nature of the human being for us to think that Christ's work could not possibly be finished, that we have to do more, that we have to add to it, that we have to earn it. You guys may remember that movie, Saving Private Ryan. All these men died to save one man, Private James Ryan, played by Matt Damon. And if you remember the final scene, this platoon was led by uh, Tom Hanks, who played Captain John Miller. And he ends up dying in kind of this climactic scene where they found Private Ryan. And Private Ryan is holding this captain who led this charge to go rescue him. He's holding this man dying in his arms. And Tom Hanks looks at Matt Damon and he says, earn this. Earn this. All these men that died for you, earn this. And the final scene of the movie is heartbreaking. Because it shows Private Ryan as an older man decades later at the graveside of the man who died to save him. And he collapses in tears 
tormented by the idea that he has not earned such a sacrifice. That his life is not worthy of all that those men gave for him. And many of us approach our faith the exact same way. I've got to earn my forgiveness. I've got to earn God's acceptance. I have to do something to earn what Jesus did for me on the cross. And we, when we feel this way, what we are saying is that Christ's work is somehow incomplete. And that we have to do something further to earn His benefits. But Jesus didn't say, finish what I started. Jesus said, it's finished. Now receive it. You guys know... The last words of the Buddha were strive without ceasing. Another translation say, and I, it says uh, that Buddha, his final words were work hard to gain your own salvation. Do your best. I mean, no disrespect if you're a Buddhist in the room. We're glad you're here. But honestly, I think there is so much more freedom in the last words of Jesus. It is finished. See, there is nothing that you can add. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. It's completed. It's paid in full. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you work to do. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's finished. No more striving. Rest in the fact that your acceptance before God was purchased in full on the cross. Final thing I want us to see this morning. Is that there is nothing you can do that can make God love you less. Isn't there freedom in that? There is freedom in the words, it is finished, because not only does it mean that your debt is paid or that you have that you have nothing left to add. It also means that there is nothing you can do that can erase Jesus's work on the cross for you. It's finished. And many of you, I know this is true because I often feel the same way. Many of you, when you blow it. When you fall off the wagon, when you mess up again, when you fail in some way. What you do is you retreat from God. I did that again. I said that again. I drank or consumed that again. Or I looked at that again. Or I went to that place again. And you feel such shame in that moment that you retreat from God. You distance yourself from other people and you stop coming to church. And you act, we convince ourselves sometimes when we really blow it, that there's some kind of probationary period between our mistake and when we can come back to God. You ever been there where you're like, man, I blew it and I should pray right now, but I, I, God probably wouldn't even hear my prayer right now. How could I, how would I even dare to pray right now after what I just did? And so we convince ourselves that there's some sort of two to three week or two to three month period where we're like, if I can stop doing that thing for this amount of time, then I'll be able to show my face again in church. And then I might even dare be able to talk to God. Don't you know that when we think this, do you realize how much that grieves our heavenly father? Because those are the moments when he most wants us to run into his arms. Now think of my children. When my children mess up and when my children fail and when they do something that makes them ashamed or makes them feel guilty, the last thing I want them to do in that moment is to retreat and isolate themselves in their room and wallow in their shame. 
The very thing I want them to do in that moment is to sit in my lap and let me hold them while they weep. And let me try to encourage them and remind them that we will never leave you. There's nothing, there's nothing my kids could do as a parent that would ever make me give up on them. And in your moments of greatest failure, those are the moments where God's arms are most open wide. And when he most wants to comfort you. And those are the moments where you most need him. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a story to communicate God's love. He's told a story about a wealthy family and a son who abandoned his family. He abandoned the family. He left them and he spent the father's wealth. He wasted money on the scriptures say reckless living. You can fill in the blank however you want, whatever that looks like for you. Reckless living. He goes into the city, spends his money, lives it up. And after it was all gone, he ends up homeless and hungry and alone. And he's sitting with pigs, literally. And he ends up homeless and hungry and poor. And he decides he's going to go back to his father. But he says, I'm going to go grovel and I'm going to go beg. And I'm going to hope that maybe just maybe my dad will make me a slave. Because at least slaves get three meals a day. And sometimes isn't that how we approach God? When we mess up. We try to avoid him until we can't any longer. And then we approach him like a beggar, just hoping that he won't shut the door on us. But the son goes home, head down in shame. But the father, the father comes running to embrace him. He hugs him. He takes off his rags and he puts an expensive robe on his son and he invites everyone in town to a huge party and they get the best meat and they get the best wine and they throw the biggest party you've, the family has ever seen. And the father says, I'm doing this because my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. That father, it says the father ran down the road as the son, it says while he was still a long way off. That means that the father was on lookout for the son. Who knows? Jesus doesn't tell us. It's a story. You don't know. Maybe that father was waiting for months, maybe even years. And maybe every day he would spend his day out on the front porch, just looking off into the distance down the road going, maybe my son will come home today. And then finally, one day off in the distance, he sees his son and he takes off running. And when he catches up to him, he doesn't shame him for his mistakes. He doesn't scold him for wasting all their money or hurting their family. He welcomed him in and he celebrated. He said, you were lost and now you're found. I'm so glad you're back in my arms, son. Listen, you need to know that in your moments of greatest shame, even if they've yet to come. See, this is why we study theology, so that when we mess up, our theology can help get us through our failures. Even if, your big, even if your greatest failure is still in the future, you need to know before it comes that when that day comes, you need to know now that you cannot erase Jesus' words from the cross. It's finished. It's paid in full. Jesus said those words knowing exactly what you would do. Your mistakes and your failures will never surprise God. He knew them when he was nailed to the cross. Here we, we live in 2019. Jesus was crucified in 30 A.D. All of our sins were in the future when Jesus was on the cross. 
Yet He still still nailed them to that cross with Him. He knew what you were going to do. He knows what you're going to do. And yet He still says, it is finished. So in your moments of greatest failure, you need to know that there is nothing you can do to subtract from the work of Christ on the cross. What you do is you repent, you turn back to the cross, and you throw yourself on God's mercy because He is still there offering His grace. It's finished. There's nothing left to add. You don't have to beg. You don't have to improve yourself. You don't have to prove your worth. You simply, as we just sang, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Because forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is finished. This is the message of Jesus to all of those who will hear it. And you have two choices of what to do with those words. You can say, no thanks. And you say, you know what? I'll finish my, I'll pay off my debt on my own. And you'll, you can try to live a good life and you can try to have good intentions and you can try to put it all together. But the scriptures simply say that your debt is far too great. And there are not enough lifetimes for you to pay off the sin debt that you owe to God. Or you can receive the receipt that Jesus paid for you. You can receive the receipt of Jesus that says to tell us die and it's stamped in his blood and it says it is paid in full. It is finished. Jesus is your receipt. You know, the question people often ask is they say, well, you know, if you get to heaven, St. Peter's there at the gates and they ask, why should we let you into heaven? You show them the receipt and the receipt is Jesus Christ himself. It's paid in full. He paid for it all. And the scriptures say that they'll say, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Everything that Jesus did has been credited to you. You are a good and faithful servant. Come on in to the kingdom. To tell us, it's paid in full. It is finished. Gardner C. Taylor, he ended his sermon on this text. He said, Jesus cried, it is finished. The last drop of blood needed to be spilled has fallen at Calvary's mountain. The last tear needed to be put needed to put things right has been shed. It is finished. The highway has been opened. It is finished. The crooked and perilous way has been straightened out. And then Gardner C. Taylor sings this song. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Pray with me. Father in heaven, it is finished. That is the victory cry that you shouted on Calvary that day. And because you paid for it all on that Friday, and because you rose from the dead the following Sunday, we can know that our debt has been canceled. It has been paid for. And we have the receipt that ensures our entry into your kingdom. And that receipt is Jesus himself. 
And God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that you who did not spare your only begotten son have given us Jesus and that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for the cross. Amen. Some of you, you need to hear that, don't you? It is finished. And when we take communion, one of the things we do every week, we take communion, the Lord's table. The reason we take it is we're celebrating that statement. It is finished. It's finished because the body of Jesus has been broken for us. We know that God will never break us. And because the blood of Jesus was shed for us, we know that it's paid in full, that God will forgive us. And today I want to do something a little bit different. Um, Instead of you just coming and taking communion on your own, uh, we've got our deacons along with some of our deacons along with Pastor Kyle. And they're going to serve communion to you. And as you take communion, they're going to remind you that this is Christ's body and it was broken for you to pay your sin debt. And they're going to remind you that this is Christ's blood that was shed for you so that your sin can be paid in full. Now, listen. There's no mediator between God and man except for Jesus himself. Our deacons aren't any holier than you. That There's nothing that in their hands that possesses any supernatural power. They're simply fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, who are going to speak truth over you today. And they're going to say to you, this is Christ's body broken for you and this is his blood shed for you. And I want you, as you hear those words, to imagine God the Father speaking those over you. And that day when Jesus returns or that day when we go to see him and we enter into God's kingdom and God himself, the father says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we're going like good and faithful. I wasn't good and faithful. He's going to go. Yeah, but Jesus was. And you're hidden in Christ and his work has been credited to you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your kingdom. That's the message of the gospel. And so as you receive communion today. Hear those words spoken over to you, over you and be blessed. So you come when you're ready.